Welcome to the February 2020 edition of Bookplate. Find us on the web at foreveryoungadult.com. Join a book club chapter in your area or start your own by visiting us online and clicking on the book club link at the top. Don't forget to check out our monthly themed wallpaper created by graphics goddess Mandy C, which is always featured at the top of the page. Today I'm Annie, sound engineer, host, and in this book I'm Sean, the prince's, the prince's beleaguered bodyguard. I'm Britt and I am the wedding cake, just chilling on the table, minding its own business till everything goes to shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Zara, having to deal with ignorant children who are making my life a living hell. <laughs> And also Amanda. Yes, and Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) But more Zara. (laughs) I think she might have been my favorite character. Yeah. Our amuse-bouche when we give you a bite of what we're going to get into today is Alex, the first son of the first woman president of the United States, would be the most eligible, eligible bachelor in the world if it wasn't for Prince Henry of the United Kingdom. Their rivalry knows no bounds, or does it? Do they actually hate each other or secretly want to bone? A coming out, coming of age story about the fate of world politics and a possible future where people don't have to hide who they are or who they love by Casey McQuiston. That's about covers it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good summary. Our other cover take is when we ask our significant others what they thought of the book just by looking at the cover. And Jamal, my significant other, told me that it was a young adult English-British love drama. Cool. Garrett said, some sort of romance between someone and a member of the royal family. And Phil said, it was a romance between the Prince of England and a regular New Yorker. Just a regular New Yorker. (laughs) (laughs) Forget about it. Uh, our appetizer today is plain toast with nothing on it and i think that's what henry he eats at one point and alex just like makes him makes fun of him for like <laughs> not having anything on your toast but i do wonder who eats plain toast with nothing on uh it. elwood blues isn't it jake and elwood and the blues brothers when they go oh. in and one orders four four whole chickens and the other one wants dry toast oh my god <laughs> i'm so old i'm sorry no i mean i've seen that movie but it's been a long time i just like really can't eat dry toast I like to slather all the things on it. So uh, the topic is first woman president, first blended family, and uh, it's, it's political fantasy. So in this book, they are in the middle. They're in the middle of the first term of the first woman president, and at the end, they're going through the election for the second term um, to see if their uh, mother actually can get reelected. And it's a blended family, which means I've seen it used different ways, but it, in this case, it means that the family includes children of a first marriage and the second marriage Mm -hmm. and that his father is mexican-american and then his mother is like just a white lady from texas Mm -hmm. yeah it's a political fantasy yeah where everybody's in politics the dad's also a senator that's right yeah yeah Yeah. everyone's big talkers (laughs) (laughs) yeah how did the premise work for you folks I liked it, but yeah, definitely felt like fantasy because in real life, it just feels like we are moving backwards and not forwards. And I thought it was um, very fantasy too, very cute. And I couldn't believe that it hadn't already happened, that we hadn't had the child of a president and the child of a queen, you know, coming together seems so obvious. But Mm. I think most romance novels fall into fantasy category for me. So, Really? Mm. Why do you say that? 
because I've never met anybody who had a relationship like in a romance novel where they meet and it's super intense and they're together forever and nothing is bad ever and it's just perfect <laughs> right like, and everybody's super smart and interesting and their families are supportive and like it's just like ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that's not real life <laughs> elves are more real to me <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I definitely get that. I uh, I put up here, you know, how did the run up to the 2020 election in the book compare to our current experience? You know, we're doing this in February 2020. And at the time that I put this in, in our notes, I had more hope that perhaps we could get closer to this fantasy. And now I am quite depressed about the current remaining uh, candidates in the Democratic race. So yeah. and not one a woman. Yeah. Elizabeth lost him. I'm sad about that. Me too. Yeah. She's a good lady. <laughs> she still is. She's not dead. <laughs> I know. She's good. It's like RIP. No, I mean, she's alive. I'm glad she's alive. RIP my hopes. <laughs> RIP my hopes. Seeing a female presence. <laughs> RIP my hope that we, like, we're going to get any sort of, like, actual real sweeping change. But, you know. Yeah, I think I, I've been really going through my feelings. She dropped out this week that we recorded. And when that happened, I expressed this in a very, you know, swear filled <laughs> post on my Facebook page because I can't stop posting about politics on my Facebook page um, where, you know, this is personal for me because when I was a kid, I wanted to be president and everyone I said that to all the adults and the kids who are my age were like, you can't be president because you're a girl. I think if you've been listening, you know that I don't identify as a woman. I identify as non-binary, but that still at the time I just did not believe I just did not believe in the core of my being that that was truth and I didn't want it to be truth and I spent a lot of time fighting against it and like it became like very part of my personality and then as I got older I realized that I actually didn't want to be followed by the press anywhere (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to make you wanted another woman to be yes (laughs) yes I did and another woman who was like smart you know, I think I think part this is maybe my hubris or maybe just like my fetish for people who I want to be in leadership positions, but I want them to be smart. I want them to understand things. I want them to speak in a way that gets me excited that they know how to make change and not just like, don't worry, little lady, we'll make it happen for you. Like, I just don't trust that bullshit. I make mm. the presidency nerds again. Like, ah! <laughs> that's all I want. I want people that I cannot have a beer with because they're, they're too busy knowing about statistics about some problem that i haven't thought about like that's who i want to lead i love it i want them to be a professor you know i want uh, yes i want them to be able to teach me things that i don't know and not like me being constantly worried that they're gonna say something awful to some other leader of the world <laughs> you know so yeah i mean with that said you know my question here is do you believe a woman can be president and the country keeps telling us no mm, yeah it's getting harder and harder to believe, but I mean, there's that whole f- self-fulfilling prophecy. If we all buy into the notion that she can't be president, a woman can't be president, then everybody starts acting like that's a foregone conclusion, and then it doesn't happen. So it's hard to believe, but I think we need the optimism if we want to see these things happen. So just now when you just said the country keeps telling us now, I would amend that to say the country keeps telling us yes but showing us no Mm. oh yeah good point because it is not what you say it's what you do right exactly and so yeah there's all this talk of change but then here we are down to two old white men (laughs) two old rich white men. when we started with like 
such a diverse and interesting group of people. Yeah, this whole, I mean, I I really am engaged with politics. My family always has been. I work in government. You know, I really do believe that change can happen even with the system we have now. But you have to have people who care about making that happen. And the work is really hard. It's not very rewarding. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's boring probably for most people if they're not specifically interested in this. It's difficult because there's often no right answer and you'll be penalized for whatever decision you make. And you have to be comfortable with that. And the system itself is kind of just like Sisyphean and insane and and seriously just like it's like going through what is the what is his, the trial? What is this? What is the, he's like the what is his name? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like it's literally like going through a situation where it's like, oh, here are the very clear paths to getting anywhere. And they're like, it's like watching Brazil, mm-hmm. you know, it's like that's actually kind of how it works and yeah. like the amount of bureaucratic red tape it takes to get anything done is nuts and it will wear you down mm-hmm. to the point where then you stop trying yeah you know and I, I feel that that's what's that's what the this is trying to do to me and I never ever want to give up hope and I never ever want to stop trying but we're all really tired oh god yeah. I'm so fucking tired I saw this tweet oh my god I gotta find it <laughs> comparing Joe Biden to Olive Garden <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Friday night. It's oh eight. You're so hungry. Right? Yes. <laughs> like, and it's like, you know, like there's better restaurants out, the, out there, but all you want is some damn breadsticks. <laughs> oh my God. I got to find it. There's TGI Fridays has a long line. <laughs> like, chilies is impossible. <laughs> oh, no. oh no. I just like, you know, as as boring and as unexcited I am about Joe Biden, I would be a little bit more on board if he could just keep his fucking hands to himself. I do not Good know Lord. why he keeps touching people. I honestly, and I know this is bad, but for my own sanity, I'm out of it now. I donated. I, like, volunteered. I did things, and it didn't work out for me. I know I'm going to vote whoever they put up, so I'm just not paying attention until November. Yeah. I think yeah. otherwise you'll lose your sanity. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to vote no matter who. I don't care for either who, of these but... people. Yeah. I don't really actually have anything against Bernie Sanders, but his supporters make me uncomfortable. I just I didn't like him in 2015 and I don't like him now. He's been running he's been running a presidential campaign for 5 years <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> I wish that he would address race more me head too. on and sort of stop dancing around it to make everything a class issue. Yeah, a lot of it is a class issue, but a lot of times there are race issues and he's just sort of like skirt, let me just sidestep that yeah he's he actually is to me like the example of this country's inability to deal with race you know like if if it was just class if we only just addressed class everything could happen right but it's like the race and class are intrinsically tied like especially if you read any of the 1619 project you know that that our economy that created the classes are specifically tied to race so and also i don't think it matters class in a sense i feel like if you're black then like if you're rich wealthy and you have been for a couple generations you're still treated like shit like the system you know yeah all right here's the tweet it's from zach heltzel and it says the democratic primary is Times square the voters are tourists and joe biden is olive garden they know what it is. They have it back home. And while there are better restaurants, they're tired and their feet are killing them and they just want some fucking breadsticks. Right. So that's, that's perfect. really real. <laughs> Apt. That's really, really real. The other thing I did this week, which was just something I've been wanting to do for a while, was I worked the polls on mm-hmm. Tuesday. I did. I worked at a 
pole, a precinct over on the other side of the lake. And there were like two precincts in this polling area. And it was the first time that I kind of got to see how the sausage is made. And I, it made me scared. Mm-hmm. Like it was really, it was a really young, diverse set of people coming in, people who really wanted to be engaged, who were excited to vote. And the poll workers were also diverse set of folks, mostly older. Like I was dealing with two people who are retired because those are the people who can take the time to do this. Mm-hmm. But I also had a high school student there. So like really wide range of people. And just like, I never once felt confident that, they, that we were doing it right. Like I'd been trained. Mm-hmm. But there are so many variables and so many things that can like that makes a difference in how someone casts their ballot. And at the end of the night, I was just like looking at how like the one precinct had done their like wrap up and how we had done ours. And it was different. And I was oh, like, no. I don't know if these votes are going to get counted. Like I oh, seriously shit. felt that way. And it just like makes me really, really scared. It made me like usually when I find out more knowledge, I feel empowered because of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wish I didn't have that. No, I mean, I'm glad I know, but like, it does not make me feel good. Yeah. That's really scary. <laughs> and it was a 15 and a half hour shift. Oof. Oh my gosh. We got there. I got there at 5.50. I didn't leave until 9.30. Damn. Jeez. So that was nuts. That was nuts. We need more people to volunteer and actually be poll workers in order to change that. Yeah. If we, if people were like, if election day was a holiday and people got off work, then <laughs> that would be a different story, right? Yeah. One of my fantasies is running as the petty candidate where all I do is like s- suggest those changes, like getting rid of daylight savings time, <laughs> <laughs> making the election day a holiday, <laughs> making a holiday in every month. Why don't we have a holiday in April and March, making a holiday in every month? <laughs> and then like, I don't know what other like really mediocre, tiny change that people can't really get mad about and then being like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm glad I brought attention to these issues. <laughs> Patty LaBelle 2020. <laughs> uh, move on? Yeah. yeah. Our main course is family pizza to each their own pie. So they call this situation Pizzagate in the book, which, yes, is a joke on a very terrible situation. Yeah. But uh, the family is like these set up, they all like do work together. And um, I guess at one point they like didn't get the right pizzas for people or tried to share pizzas. And there was like a whole uproar in the family. So now when they have pizza night, they each get their own pizza. So there's no arguing over over the pizza and I kind of loved that example of like yes we're all here we're all in this room we're all going to work together but you better stay yeah. away from my pizza. <laughs> I want my own pizza actually you know thinking about that brings up an issue that I had in the book and not like an issue that it's bad or whatever but I kept noticing their privilege oh yeah I mm. can get my own pizza I get whatever my room is in vogue it's only decorated with the finest of things and like we go out to a bar we get in anywhere we want we are treated like kings like I don't think I think maybe that was intentional, but it rang a lot with me. I kept noticing it over and over again. Hmm. It is. I mean, that I think it was intentional. It is like, again, back to the fantasy. It's the fantasy of the wealthy, privileged life, especially once we see what they think Prince of England has and like (laughs) how his life works and like castle, like this, that cars, this, that, and the other thing. And like, it is a, it is a level of wealth and privilege that the majority of us will never never touch and only look at it in magazines Mm -hmm. and it is tied into this like I mean it is tied into capitalism and how much we like fetishize nice things Mm -hmm. yeah and like some people really love that you know Hollywood is all about that even in the in the Great Depression era everyone made these movies about fantasy lifestyles that the majority of the country was not able to even touch because they wanted to have something that was not their real life right right Mm -hmm. So escapism. Yeah, that's super real. We don't want to deal with reality. We're not very good at it. 
my topic that I brought up is bisexual versus being gay or homosexual versus being pansexual or pan and how there's like representation from all of these groups and they have kind of a discussion about it without banging it over your head banging it (laughs) (laughs) I saw a tweet that said most uh like 20% of Sagittarius jokes are unintentional (laughs) I'm like but they're still funny though (laughs) what did you folks feel how'd you feel about that I thought it was really good and I really liked his journey of sexuality like discovering it that he wasn't freaked out by it he was interested in it it didn't scare him. It didn't cause him to react in a negative way. And I think that's sort of unique and interesting. Yeah, there's this trope that I guess is more for like teen movies and TV shows, but just, you know, toxic masculinity. So dude realizes that he might be gay or might have feelings for other dudes and like starts being super homophobic and like going out of his way to bully like gay kids or you know men who are might be effeminate or whatever and then it turns out it's because they were like repressing their own feelings all along <laughs> like sex education the principal's son who goes out of his way to bully is it Eric Eric yeah um like in glee um the kid who like throws slushies on Kurt all the time what else Buffy. Buffy. (laughs) The big football player who messed with Xander, but then became very, like, almost erudite at the end of it and very in tune with himself. Yeah. So it's nice that we can skip over (laughs) that. Let me just torture somebody else to, like, deflect from my own inner turmoil (laughs) stage of sexual awakening. (laughs) Yeah. I think I don't like those because then it normalizes, like, forgiving your abuser or like even getting Mm -hmm. into a relationship with your abuser which then perpetuates being in abusive relationships and I'm not into that I think I've said this before but I think we do need better examples of like what love can be in Mm -hmm. YA and I'm glad that that's that we got one yeah I feel like this is a really great thing you know it can give people like courage to sort of explore without thinking their life will come crashing down or their whole sense of identity has to burn it's just like oh well maybe there's this other thing about myself I haven't discovered like when I found out I like knitting. I didn't know that before. <laughs> I wasn't scared to discover it. And I feel like it was almost that same level with him mm. on something so big. Especially as teens, you're supposed to go through these kind of like uncovering and like learning and, you know, no one's going to tell you about yourself, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they can for some reason, but you're the one who knows if it fits, right? right. Yeah. And you can do that without being like, oh, you like knitting? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so lame. <laughs> Get your knitting needles away from me, knitter. Old lady. <laughs> I love knitting. I used to knit a lot and then can't anymore. So I kind of like vicariously live through my friends who do knit. (laughs) (laughs) They also have like some very, very sexy, sexy sons in here. There's a lot of sex in this book. Uh, It's a woman. It's a woman writer. It's gay sex. How did you feel about that? I think that's fine. I don't think I'm not of the opinion that people should only write exactly what they are. I feel like you should, you know, do your research and try to get things right. But the whole point of being a writer is imagining. I thought it was hot. I mean, that's, you know, I like sexy books. I like things that turn me on. And I was very much turned on by this book. And I was like, oh, okay. And some of the th- some of the scenes, they hit some of my kinks. So I was like, <laughs> I am into this. And I think maybe it might have been the first time I've seen, like, 
kinks in a YA book mm-hmm. where they didn't say it out loud, but like if you know what certain what your kinks are and you know like kind of if you're anywhere adjacent to the kinky world like it was very obvious especially when they go into the the stock room at Wimbledon and there's like leather and crops involved I was <laughs> I was like yes <laughs> and also it fulfilled my my romance requirement that they are trapped in a small space together <laughs> like without yet being together and they're just like oh. <laughs> it's so close in here <laughs> That's great. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> I don't think writers have to only write about their own experience or perspective. I think like as long as they are taking the time to, you know, appreciate and not appropriate and like seek out people's advice. Maybe she had a sexitivity reader in this yes. book. I don't know. <laughs> Trademark for it. <laughs> Get your t-shirt now. Yeah. <laughs> And we do think this counts as new adult, right? Yes. Yeah. The Which, characters are older. Yeah. I mean, I when I first heard of new adult, I just thought it was like sort of college YA or like post high school YA, early 20s. But then like new adult sort of has a rep as just being all about the sex, which I mean, I guess this book sort of falls into. But like I think of Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell as new adult just because like it's marketed this way. But like. They're in college, so it's like sort of She's the next in college, but she was such a shut in and a person who had like very little experience with the world. Like yeah. Alex has been like, you know, out ba- and banging about. his way through America. <laughs> They've made that very clear with all the NDAs. Like but he's lived a life of experience. This is like a new side of his sexuality that he's interested in exploring, but he is an adult. This does not feel like a child to me. Mm. Okay. Yeah. He did feel really young to me. Yeah, he f- just because maybe it was the optimism. He kind of like a big puppy, like he's flopping around. Like he does fall a lot. He's just like not very coordinated. <laughs> he's just, he's just he, like, oh my god, is he the romantic comedy heroine? He's perfect except for she's clumsy. I think so. <laughs> I actually think that's who he is. That's amazing. <laughs> Bella Swan style, like tripping over your own feet out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, definitely right. Like yeah. I think we kind of got that. But yeah, he just like really seemed just. He was still so optimistic, like he hadn't been beat down by the world yet, you know? And I'm like, that's what I see as an adult. (laughs) Like, you have some cynicism to you, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Because it's not necessarily the age of the characters, though, because the Flavia Deleuze series, The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie, is the first one. And it's a mystery series about, and the main character is an 11-year-old girl who, like, acts like a kid. Like, she loves chemistry, and she has, like, a lab where she, like, does scientific experiments and she uses big words. She's precocious. But she also, like, hates her sisters and named her Bicycle Gladys and, like, <laughs> rides around town on her bike-solving mysteries. But it's not YA. It's, like, an adult book. But then... Is it literary? Because yeah. I always see, like, lots of literary, like, Donna Tart will write from an 11-year-old narrator or Bastard Out of Carolina was written by, yeah, uh, like, yeah. a 13-year-old narrator. Like it, it feels literary, but it still feels, like, like, you don't forget that she's a kid. Right. Because um, she's like, oh, and then my sister. Like, and I, like, wanted to, like, sneak into her room and read her diary. Ha, ha. Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, I don't know. But then it's a male writer. And so, like, you were talking about earlier about how when it's women writers, they get pushed into YA. Yeah. Into marketing as YA, even if it's not. So. I th- and especially I when New Adult different. came about, I was like, this is just a weird marketing ploy. Why can't people just write books? 
and they need they wanted to like shoehorn it into YA, but I feel like the market for YA was initially like, what do we ki- give kids to read in school? Mm. You know? Oh, interesting. And now it's just this whole thing of like, where can we put women authors, especially genre authors? Huh. I have decided that I do not understand genres, period. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I just like, I, I see them and like, I guess they're needed for, uh, be, we need to categorize, thing, categorize things as humans in order to be able to understand them. Mm-hmm. But I like really don't get genres, especially in art. not a genre. It's, it's a category. Yeah. But I mean, genre is like sci-fi. Right. Contemporary fantasy. Because all of that is like within YA. So it's like more about the audience it's intended for. But oh. then, I don't know. I'm reading these dance applications right now at work. And I just don't get it. Like I'm, I'm like not a dancer and, but the vocabulary and the way that the, it's being presented to me, I'm just like, okay, so in the end you're dancing, they're more, they're not a traditional set of movements. You're, you have costumes and there's music and there's sometimes visuals in the back. So like that, like, why are we using all of these words to like, just like theoretical words in order to get to that point? Like, (laughs) I'm just so lost, you know, but, and I feel that way sometimes with like music genres too. It's like, Mm. is it crust punk or regular punk? (laughs) Is it it like, I'm like, they both look the same to me. I just don't get it. And maybe that's just my, my ignorance. You have to be a specialist maybe in the area. Like, I feel like all tequila tastes like fire, but some people <laughs> tell me that some of it tastes really good and some of it tastes like fire. <laughs> but to me, I've had like expensive and I'm like, yeah, it tastes like fire. Good fire. <laughs> Burns its way down. <laughs> but like, I'll never get the nuances of it. Yeah. Mm. All right. We want to go on to our side dish. Yeah. So we have a couple. Do you want to talk about yours first? Sure. Um, February is Black History Month, and Barnes and Noble bungled it spectacularly. Whereas instead of you know featuring books about Black people by Black authors, took quote unquote classics like Alice in Wonderland and Emma by Jane Austen and just redid the covers. They called it uh, the Diverse Editions Project. And so they were showcasing these classic books, but with black people on the cover because diversity. Because <laughs> cynical money grab. Because <laughs> classics book, they don't have to have copyrights on, so they get all of the profits. And supposedly they chose books where the race of the characters was like not explicitly stated. But like, come on. Like th- a lot of these books were written at a time when like, people did not have equal rights like per way pre-civil rights movement so like what it just it just felt very performative and makes you wonder if there was any thought put into it or if it was done on purpose because all publicity is good publicity at this point like people should know better <laughs> you'd think well and they used an ai to define those books just like not people yeah. <laughs> the cheapest way possible we built this system is going to scour these things and then we don't have to deal with like because you have to pay people you know yeah. like i feel like this is just some terrible decision making that happened in a like a singular room yeah that's <laughs> a, you need a person in the rooms that can be like hey <laughs> 
maybe this isn't such a good idea, folks. Like, right. <laughs> have you, uh, do any of you watch Astronomy Club? Have you ever heard of that? It's like a uh, black sketch comedy. Oh, it's on my list. I okay. put it on my queue. Hilarious. There's mm-hmm. one sketch that I think might be my favorite, and it starts off where it's like a urban setting D&D adventure, and the characters are just like absolute stereotypes of black people. Mm-hmm. And then you they zoom out, and it's like people in a boardroom, and then it's the the it's the white people are turning to each other and they're like, this is so racist. How did this happen? And there's like the one black guy sitting at the table. He's like, I told y'all. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, he has an email stack of this big that he's printed out. That he's just like, I sent all of these emails. And then they they like just make he leaves the room screaming because they're just like so. And they're like, we're definitely gonna blame it on that guy, right? Oh my you God. know. <laughs> I was like, that's how this happens. Yeah. You know, there was someone shouting at the wall and they just like we're not listening. Yeah. yeah and the thing about choosing books where the race of the character is not explicitly stated is that it skirts around the issue of like white being seen as the default because it is like whenever there is a character of color like the author if it's a white author usually they will tell you right away what the race is or give them like a really ethnic name or like describe their hair in a certain way that makes it really clear whereas like if a character is not like described like that we're just left to assume that they're white and that's usually how it works like when when uh harry potter and the cursed child became a play and hermione was cast as a black actress and jk rowling was like all with her performative wokeness oh yeah i wrote hermione so that she could be interpreted as whatever like no 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 sure you did jk <laughs> you her as a bushy-haired <laughs> white girl but nice try like <laughs> I'm kind of like weirdly convinced that this came out of like people being excited for a black girl being cast as um, Ariel. And they're like, that was so exciting. Everybody liked that. Let's do that here. And it was just like a complete misunderstanding uh, of like the situation. Of what was happening. Yeah. Huh. I bet they <laughs> did look at that. I bet they were like, their re- stories are being retold and now they're redoing like i bet but they this did. isn't retelling the story this right. is the same story with a cover with a misleading cover like it's no. literary blackface and just a missed opportunity because there were so many books that we don't know about because they didn't get promoted that would have been a good time to promote them was moby dick one of the ones they did yes because they're are characters of color in there but it's real racist yeah. <laughs> wizard of oz moby dick and emma and alice in wonderland are the ones specifically mentioned in this article that i'm reading why don't we just pay black people huh (laughs) (laughs) why would you want to do that (laughs) uh anything else on that one um no (laughs) it is really disappointing uh it's bullshit yeah i think they deserve whatever lost profits they got from that if any uh the other side dish we have here which we're just going to briefly cover is since in the last six months or something prince harry and Meghan markle have bowed out of their royal duties and are now living in canada and are kind of like not involved in the money that comes from being royal and no titles blah 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 and i think this book like really predicted that to me you know Mm -hmm. because one of the Mm -hmm. choices they could have made was like to bow out and just like go off into the ether somewhere and not be famous but 
they don't in the book mm-hmm. but I think but we saw that happen in real life and I was like I didn't even know that was an option I mean I think that's yeah. a fantasy like I'm just gonna be a regular poke but like <laughs> I've heard of it when like a royal person wants to marry a commoner and like they have to give up their title in order to do that like I think there was a princess in Japan who did that I think oh really yeah so I mean it's yeah, but this seems, I mean, it seems like a mutual decision here, which is why I'm super annoyed that people are calling it Megxit. Because <laughs> it, like, puts Blame all Blame the, the black woman. <laughs> right. And it's, like, I mean, it's pretty clear that they are doing this for, like, what's best for both of them and their family. And, like, you know, Harry has said that he saw firsthand the press literally just destroy his mother's life. And he didn't want that to happen. And, you know, they have a kid. And... Well, I mean, the what's family the comes first. upside? You're a, maybe a mascot? Like, mm. like if your dad dies and then your brother dies. And, and all of his kids die. All of and his then kids you die, then maybe you'll be like <laughs> Mickey Mouse for England. I don't know. Maybe that's really offensive to England, but that's kind of how I feel about it. I it, mean, I think some people like being in the spotlight, but <laughs> some people but are narcissists. Being in the spotlight <laughs> for something. Mm. You know, like, I'm in the spotlight because I'm an amazing director, or I'm an amazing musician, like, a fashion designer, or writer, but you were just born. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you did. Like... Good job. Coming out of the birth canal. <laughs> I don't... Well, I think it's a way to um, privilege abusers, which we've also seen in the royal family, is, like, if you are born into that sort of level of privilege, you really can get away with anything, and right. they will protect you. Right. Gross. <laughs> This is the photo where they, it's like, they're walking in the rain, and they're under an umbrella, and they're, like, just glowing and beaming at each other, and it's, like, so precious. They Um, really are in love. (laughs) And the photographer said it's, like, the most iconic photo that he's ever taken of them, and it just looks like they're just living their best lives. Yeah, being happy. Yeah. Good for them. Dessert? Yeah. Mm -hmm. For dessert, we have a $75,000 wedding cake, <laughs> which is immediately destroyed <laughs> at the very beginning of this book. How it not be? Like, it's Vaudeville demands it. <laughs> like this pristine dessert over here on this table where there's drunken people about. Like, you know that it's super expensive. Like, you're just waiting Did we for ever it to go down in flames. Did we ever find the flavor of the cake? Um, I mean, you'd think because they were in it. <laughs> <laughs> I want at least like a hint of strawberry in there. <laughs> <laughs> Champagne. <laughs> it's probably vanilla. Let's be real about it. <laughs> oh, does it say? No, sorry, but I just read this. I follow, uh, so there's these two subreddits, but I try to stay off Reddit, so I follow like a Twitter account that posts the best of the subreddits. <laughs> so one of them is like AITA, which stands for Am I the Asshole? Mm-hmm. And there was one about this woman who has this sister who's like a complete health nut who like tries to push everybody in the family into like eating what she wants them to eat and whatever. And the sister was in charge of this woman's birthday cake. And she said, the woman was just like, I want like a regular ass birthday cake. Like none of the health food bullshit, because I guess at some previous family event where she had brought a cake, she brought some sort of meat loaf. (laughs) Instead of a cake. That's not a cake. I don't know. I mean, meatloaf can be delicious, but not when you're expecting cake. Or no, <laughs> veggie loaf. Oh. Okay, <laughs> like a zucchini, but like not cake. Not cake. No frosting. No. Um, if there's not frosting, it's not really cake. She brought disappointment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and shame upon her family. <laughs> so the sister promised she would get like a regular ass cake or whatever, and 
it ended up being like a block of frozen almond milk with like some maple syrup on I it hate so like frozen <laughs> milk and she's like I took a bite and I was like, what the fuck? And now my sister is mad at me and my family says I should have just gone along with it. Am I the asshole here? <laughs> and everyone's like, no, it's your birthday. Like, have whatever you want. Cake is sacred. Okay. Yeah. Like, it is a very specific thing. It is about joy. Mm-hmm. It is like meant to make you happy. And yeah. Bring yeah. your own cake. Let yeah. your sister sit in the corner with her almond popsicle. Or put yourself in charge of her birthday cake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just read that today. And so I was just thinking, like, cake sappies yeah i do have an urge to like stick my hand in any like beautiful cake that i see (laughs) i want to destroy but it's out of joy (laughs) i'm hunting to see if i can find like a hint of flavor flavor. (laughs) we can keep the conversation going (laughs) our my question is inevitable love or maybe we could say true love but i think it's more inevitable love like that's the person that you have to fall in love Mm -hmm. with because of the way you have proximity to them do you believe in it? No, <laughs> I don't. I believe in inevitable lust. I believe that when you meet people, you can't help the chemistry that you have with them. I believe you cannot act upon it, but that's just like a thing that's beyond your control. It's instinctual. It's like chemical. It's, you know, animal. But I do believe in the mind being involved in love and your mind making the decisions and the choices. And it's difficult to be in a relationship over a long period of time, you have to sort of choose that every day. It's not inevitable. It's not the only thing that can happen. And people change. People do. Yeah, that's why I'm always a little wary of people who say that they are still with their high school sweethearts. It's like you are, your brain literally isn't even developed yet. Then, like, I am a completely per- different person than I was in high school. Like, I would not want to be friends with high school <laughs> me. Like, ugh. So it seems like it's harder to do that changing and growing together right i don't know is there an example in like romance where it's not true love or not inevitable love it's just like proximity who who, or who you meet (laughs) or whatever it's just like the work involved or is it always just like uh, (laughs) marriage of convenience trope but that's not quite right like the only thing that got in our way is our initial feelings and once we sorted those and there's like nothing else to do that's what I feel like most romance novels are. Hmm. Hmm. So the cake is eight tiers. <laughs> it leans, teeters, shudders, finally tips, comes crashing down onto the floor in an avalanche of white buttercream, some kind of sugary $75,000 nightmare. <laughs> Vanilla. <laughs> yeah, that's all we got, flavor-wise. We knew it was white buttercream. Yeah. Imagine your favorite kind of cake. Maybe it's different flavors. Maybe there's seven different flavors. I'm going to think that. My other question in this section is celebrity love. Is it worth it? I don't think I'd date a celebrity. No. No, not as a regular person. I could see why celebrities date each other because there's Mm -hmm. just that level of shared experience where you don't have to worry that the person is like just wanting to date you for your fame or money or whatever because they like, you know, already know what it's like and you there's like that extra like sort of hurdle I guess that you don't have to explain to someone because they get it but yeah as a regular person definitely not I didn't even like I didn't even want people looking at me like when I walked down the aisle at my wedding like I just don't <laughs> want to <laughs> be gosh. in the spotlight I, <laughs> I was, was exactly like can everybody just turn way. around please like while I walk stop looking at me so bad the yeah. introvert's nightmare 
I yeah. still sometimes like will think about my wedding and remember that everybody in the world was looking at me at all times. <laughs> <and I was laughs> like, Same. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's why I didn't have a ma- have a wedding. <laughs> I ser- I got anxiety just thinking about that, especially like saying vows and being vulnerable uh, and emotional in front of all those people. Like yeah. I cried with three people in the room. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nope. If it was all my choice, I definitely would have eloped or like done city hall or something small, but. You know, I guess Garrett had to be a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> My mom had opinions. Like, she would have found out where I was eloping and showed up anyway, so. <laughs> I mean, telling my mom on the phone that she wasn't invited to the wedding is one of the most pregnant silences I've ever experienced oh, in my no. life. Oh, no. I mean, but the choice was because the, the other side of the family, Jamal's family, couldn't have come. And mm-hmm. so, like. Yeah. Been fair. yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm not starting this marriage of, like, very two different families and uh, levels of privilege in, in a place where like one is privileged over the other I'm just not going to do it we're working to make sure everybody gets similar access so mm-hmm. some people have that situation and they're like two weddings <laughs> one for each family I'm just like why how <laughs> wedding planning how is can the you afford absolute that? pits like <laughs> I just wanted it to be over I'm like I want to be married but the wedding <laughs> <sighs> yeah I have friends who got married in Brooklyn and India I have friends who are getting married in th- I think they're having three I think they're doing California Spain and France Woof. and I'm just like <sighs> I mean are they just having parties or are they literally going through the pantomime of getting married again I don't know I think it's like at least at least one in Europe is another wedding wow but I'm like I guess if we can afford to get married in Europe <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, with the way flight prices are right now, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about that next month. Uh, <laughs> we talk about a. <laughs> oh yeah, Wilder Girls. <laughs> I guess everyone just signs NDAs if you're doing celebrity love. There were so many yeah, NDAs. There were a lot, which are you know creepy. Yeah, I don't agree. I mean, that in, I think that goes to my that somehow speaks to my need to be able to like be my own person and be in charge and like be able to talk to who I want to say what I want and do what I want I'm not gonna sign something that says I can't do that and it's just such a another like example of crushing privilege Mm -hmm. like if you don't do what I say then I will own your life Mm. those NDAs are always like million multi-million dollar penalties that no regular person could pay it's gross it is gross it's also like gross we have to do that I don't know. There's I mean, like, have sex with the... Who you want to have sex with? And, like, what did we say about our... Don't do anything on the internet that our grandmas <laughs> wouldn't want to do? Like, yeah, that's live what my your mom life. Told be me. proud of your life. Like, I don't know. I mean, I get it in theory, just because, like, if you, you know, are a really high-profile person in government, like, you know, somebody could find something out about you and use it to... Whatever. It could have repercussions, but... Yeah, it's icky. <laughs> yeah, but if you're Michael Bloomberg, you can just pay those, I guess. <laughs> like, he has so many NDAs. I'm glad he's not in the race anymore. But, like, he he has $25 billion, right? Like, he, he like there's nothing that can touch him in his wealth. Mm-hmm. but And no one can touch that. He's, what, the third richest he, person or something like that? I mean, it's more than that. But he's in the top 10 in the fucking world. <laughs> I just feel like NDAs should be the Bloomberg situation where you know that something wrong was done. Mm, right. And... By requiring NDAs, it implies that what you're doing is wrong. Yes, I agree. It doesn't make me think you're a good person. That is for sure. I don't know. I mean, I was like the one when the first one that Alex had to sign, you know, said that like he couldn't like use any converse, like, I don't know, publicize any conversation that they had or like put it on social media or like pictures of like inside Buckingham Palace and stuff. And like, 
I get it in theory, like the security issue part, but yeah, in practice, it just goes way beyond that. Well, that goes to the Harry and Meghan thing. You know, they actually sued whatever company or whatever magazine it was that like took pictures of where they were living with their drone and they lost in court. But it was a security issue for them. They're like, now everyone knows the layout yeah. of our house, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, but they lost that case. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't I don't want to be there at all. Drones scare the crap out of me. <laughs> drinks. Mm-hmm. Our drinks are coffee, one sugar and cinnamon, which is Alex's preferred style and the physical comedy in the book. <laughs> what did you say? You're, he's the heroine that's like, oh, yeah, the clumsy romantic comedy lead. He's just like so cute and like great at everything, except that she just trips every time she moves, <laughs> just falls upstairs, like falls in dudes. So like, oh, physical contact. Uh, accident. Oops. Ooh, so sexy. We're on the floor covered in frosting and champagne. (laughs) I mean, I would like to see that on screen. (laughs) Yeah. Cake fights. I am really into destroying cake. It's like (laughs) definitely a thing. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. There is some good physical comedy in this book. And like, it's very, I can see everything. I can see the places they live. I can see the people and like the parties and like one of my favorite scenes is the WeHo bar scene with the karaoke Mm -hmm. like I loved all of that it was very clear in my mind what that looked like yeah last thoughts cute novel yeah perhaps a little too long for me (laughs) I wish more had happened (laughs) but like the romance was very cute I didn't get to finish it just because of time but I will be I'm enjoying it so far I didn't think I was gonna like it but I really liked it I was one over. I was especially, yeah, I was one over. Okay. Well, that's it for this month. With that, Book Appetit. And the world turning inside out, yeah. Floating around in ecstasy, so don't stop me now. Don't stop me. Cause I'm having a good time.